You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 86. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And BlackBerry OS is dead, except they didn't officially announce that. It was kind of... Just launching right into it there, huh? Yeah, everybody's just making stuff up. So I figured I would just jump right onto the making stuff up bandwagon. (laughs) But I couldn't ride it out, because I'm not a liar, Mike. It's not how I roll. Is it dead because they're launching an Android phone? It's dead because they're launching an Android phone. Everyone said they would eventually launch an Android phone, and they actually did say we're not launching any new BlackBerry 10 devices this year. (laughs) Or any year, come on. Yeah, really. This is just, it's it. So they're going to be relegated to the the realm of of just Android handset manufacturer, which is not an embarrassing place to be unless you used to be your own dedicated company. I just got to wonder if you're a a BlackBerry designer, are you like, have you been trying to put resumes out for years? Like, are you trying to get out of the sinking ship? Is there just hope? Hope springs eternal. Um, I'm going to go with hope springs eternal. (laughs) And I don't, I have no idea. I, I presume the company has had a massive brain drain over the last few years. Because, you know, if you're a technologist, you want to work for the company doing the cool things, yeah. not the company that you work for and necessarily. To be fair, they actually use the URL rimjobs.com. <laughs> they did do that. That's got to be gone, right? Let me let's check like, that out. I can't wait to apply for my rim job. <laughs> I'm not going to put that in the show notes because that is, in fact, no longer owned. Don't, don't, just don't, don't even. And so, yeah, seriously, don't, don't go to that URL. Um it was rim.jobs, apparently. It's <laughs> still not good because <laughs> look what just happened to me. There's <laughs> way too much margin of error there. Um, but this, I think this is actually potentially good. And the reason I say that is because they, they've gotten out of the – they're on their way out of the OS market. And they're producing hardware that some people are, are seriously dedicated to. And the, the Android phone they're going to put out is going to be a slider with their like patented – rubber keyboard thingy i don't know whatever those little nubbin buttons are so you know they might still be able to survive as a company no 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 (laughs) this is it no one cares about blackberry anymore so if they came out and because i mean you've used android phones so if they came out with like a nexus quality phone like beautiful problem is the ecosystem i mean it's the same problem with windows phone that is exactly what you're describing no no no. i mean sleek has no ecosystem i mean beautiful fast sleek runs android and just says made by blackberry on it like Um, could they survive like that i don't think so because that's the the big challenge as an android oem is how do you differentiate yourself you can customize the software that everyone hates you true you can try to have better hardware. That's a fierce competition because Moto X is probably one of the best things you can get. And, you know, even that, you know, it's it's not iPhone level of success on an individual phone level. And That's so, true. like, how do you how do you fight the, the, the race to the bottom while differentiating yourself only on hardware features because <laughs> the software is going to be the same? So... Uh... I think that's uh, 8.48 p.m. You just pronounced BlackBerry completely dead. I Apparently everything's dead. <laughs> I'm just feeling like killing things. Uh, I, I, I want to believe, but 
You know what? HTC makes really beautiful devices, and they don't load it up with a lot of bloatware. And they're and struggling. They're, they're struggling. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if I'm uh, a consumer, which I am, but if I'm going to buy a phone, am I going to look at a BlackBerry phone and be like, yeah, that one. That's a reputable <laughs> like, company with a history of success. They don't have the, the automatic, like, you know, whether it's rational or not, the, the faith of, like, yeah, they got this. Like, I can buy this and use it for years and, like... HTC maybe. I mean, even though they've been struggling, you could probably buy one of their phones and be like, I'll be good. But Yeah, at least until I want to upgrade. Like yeah. this phone will work and their services will but, work. Yeah. I'm surprised Blackberry is still around. Like it seems like they should have been reinventing themselves starting around two thousand nine. When like you know, after the first couple years of iPhone when it was like, Oh, this thing is not a fad and we're screwed. So I just Googled uh, BlackBerry stock price, and I think I have the right company here, but it's not good. Rim? Oh, no, this is somebody else. No, didn't they change their name officially to BlackBerry? Oh, BlackBerry Sadir? Yeah. Yeah. So let's look at five year. Yeah, it's not good. It's better than it was in 2013-ish. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what the... But what were they in, like, 07? Yeah, I'm not sure I've actually got the right. I'm gonna try rim. Some, Hopefully, some, I don't get porn. Since we are both like yeah. stock market experts, <laughs> let's live Google things we don't know how to ask and then stumble through. Them. I agree. I this this is the right company we're looking at, and it's actually not as catastrophic as I would have expected, which is confusing. <laughs> like their stock price is is thirty six fifty right now as as of time of recording, and that just makes me wonder um, why. <laughs> why is it not like way less like what are they producing that people are buying i don't know there's, there's still enterprise shops that love blackberry is potus still rocking a blackberry no uh didn't they finally let him they found a way to iphone them i, I think so and okay so maybe this is a canadian pride thing is everyone up in <laughs> canada rocking a blackberry Ugh. I don't know. Well, they'll, they're going to crash eventually. Yeah. I, I don't see them crawling back out of this hole. Uh, some other smaller stories for this episode. Uh, Pebble announced round watches. Yay, there's more round watches. And uh, this, these ones, I actually looked at them. They, they're they kind of doubling down on like things they can differ, differentiate on. And this one, unlike the... The other smartwatches are, you know, because they're more powerful, they have more brighter color screens that animate way more. Um, they need big batteries, and they're kind of like, let's keep going with this e-ink thing. And so they're, these new Pebble watches aren't just round. They're small. They're super. They're Johnny Ive thin. They're, it, the, the YouTube video is meet the lightest and thinnest <laughs> smartwatch. It's, it's very, and, yeah. they're really going for the jewelry side of things. Yeah. And I have to say, they look really nice. They do. Like, if, if, I, if I could jive in a, a Pebble world, I, I would be sorely tempted pending the price of these things. Yeah, I mean, having lived with one that had the color e-ink screen, all I can think is like, looks real terrible when you're outside of direct sunlight and you know all these press shots are i'm sure incredibly highly illuminated 
Because these are real products. The product already yeah. exists. So, I mean, these are, are they're not renders, but it's like, yeah, but if you, I don't have a hundred watt light pointed at yeah. it, is it going to look all muddy and crappy? Yeah. And uh, the other knock against them is the battery life is down to two days. So you're kind of getting close to that. What am I really getting for yeah. losing all the, the sweetness of the other platforms? Well, I'm also surprised how much I actually care about some of the fitness sensors. Like, I really didn't think I'd care about that stuff, but when I can just look and see, like, how many steps I've done and my heart rate, and that's all built in with, like, highly accurate sensors, and it's not a pedometer or some nonsense. Yeah, and, and the platforms can be smart enough that if you have goal tracking apps or anything like that going on, like, you just look, and it's not like, I did five miles. It's like, I know you did five miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I can't I, let you do that, dude. <laughs> this quantified self thing, to me, has surprisingly or unsurprisingly boiled down to do i have to log it or does it just (laughs) get logged like i want to know this data about myself like i i I can't remember which version of christian mythology it's from but like you know when you get to heaven there's the book of life and you can ask it any question about your life like you know (laughs) i've never heard this. you've never heard of this i don't know i i don't remember i mean the book of life is in revelation but it's Uh, so it's just metaphorically is your name written on the book of life are you going to heaven i could just be flat out making this up but (laughs) but like i think it's an albert brooks movie defending your life (laughs) where he has to go into the afterlife yeah so hollywood supports my views that's good or terrible (laughs) But but that's what I mean. Like, I want this stuff to just kind of be logged, and then I can look back and be like, oh, I walked 6,000 steps this day. No, that's definitely a huge barrier. I mean, you know me. I'm not Mr. Fitness, <laughs> and <laughs> whatever the people who don't know me are picturing me as right now is probably pretty awesome. But, <laughs> um, yeah, a big barrier is the, the cognitive load. If you're not already obsessed with that kind of stuff, to, like, I'm not someone that goes running every day or anything like that, and, like having to log it would just make it worse. Like I have to do more sneaky things like finding ways to build walks into my life normally. Well, and I think the difference between someone who is, is not fitness minded and is trying to be healthier and someone who is fitness minded is a fitness minded person is tracking what they're doing because that's like, it's, it's their work. It's their, their hobby. You know, they're like, if I don't track it, I can't measure it. I can't improve it. Yeah. But for a non-fitness minded person who just wants to be healthier, you need a, a proactive, like you look at your wrist to check the time and your watch also says, Hey fatty, you haven't (laughs) taken very many steps today. Maybe go for a walk. Yeah. And it's a hard balance to strike because if it annoys people too much, they're just going to turn that stuff off. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be subtle. It's gotta be like friendly enough and just nudging, elbowing a little bit. <laughs> Here's a little color circle. Don't you want to feel that circle? Yeah, and I mean it works for you, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I have like a similar on my Moto 360. I've got the little step counter, so it's just like, oh, I, I know yesterday I did like six thousand steps, and today it's like nine p.m. and I've only done two thousand. Maybe yeah. I'll go for a walk around the block. So the question about Pebble is, are they blackberrying? <laughs> Uh, no, and I, I, I almost interrupted you, but I chose not to because that's wrong. But you <laughs> specifically said like they are trying to lead with the things that make them different. They're mm-hmm. not trying to pretend to be in the same, even in the same realm as as like the Apple Watch and, and Android Wear. And right at the beginning of this video, which this guy, the CEO of their company, I actually kind of like his videos. He like he seems chummy, right? <laughs> but right in the beginning of his video, he says something like... Um, you know, we want to make 
technology that makes your life easier, not gives you another thing to fiddle with. Like he's very clearly saying, you know how you have to like set up your other watches? You don't even have to do that with ours. Yeah. You just put it on and you go because your life is busy, Mr. San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and and they stole that timeline thing from Apple Watch. No, I'm trolling. No. <laughs> I'm trolling. But. but I don't know. It's I mean, it's really pretty. I think they are leading with um simplicity and and lack of configuration like it's there's nothing to configure you just connect it to your phone and you're basically done yeah and i mean you know, not everyone like it still remains to be seen if people want apps on their wrist and maybe in the long tail that's true but right now it's kind of hard to get excited about any of that because the interaction model is so simplified that you're either trying to do something complicated in the worst way possible or you're like why am I trying to do this at all? Yeah, yeah, because you're like pinching and zooming and rotating yeah. a little crown, or if you have a button or two. Yeah. And so here's 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 a prediction for you. Um, any kind of wearable, but you know, watches, they will <laughs> become yeah, smart eye pendants will become infinitely more usable when there's really really hyper accurate voice, uh, yeah, voice not just instruction but rejection. So like, right, you know, that's the joke on like every podcast that talks about technology. You can't say like the name of the Amazon Echo, like the actual name of it, because you'll set everybody's off and you can't say, hey, Siri, (laughs) because anybody who has their iPhone plugged in, like it'll set it off, you know? Yeah, they're trying to work on that a little bit. In iOS 9, you can train Siri so it knows your voice specifically. I have no idea if it actually works, but Google hopefully it's better than PlayStation. For for a little while, Google's like Xbox off for a little while Google's <laughs> Google's let you do the same thing with uh with Google Now and I have honestly seen zero difference. Yeah. Like if I Maybe I'm, it was just already so great. And reportedly they just recently got even better at voice. That's true. Algorithms. But but this is I think that will be a big difference because then you no longer are limited to like little pokey turny gestures. You can just say stuff to the ether because the microphone's within arm's reach. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And and it'll do stuff and and when that happens, the processing power that's in a an Android Wear watch or an Apple iSmart pendant, like <laughs> that will immediately make the gulf between those devices and and Pebble style devices and like yeah. Microsoft bands and all those, it's gonna widen that gulf. So the other thing I would throw in with voice recognition becoming like so that you trust it like you're talking almost to a person. Um, is the sort of the micro location stuff we've talked about in the past, like context aware between your other devices, between other people, between everything, then that could be really interesting for a wearable to be able to tell you things. Yeah, and I'm hoping that... Ring only the thing that's closest to me, that kind of stuff. I'm hoping that comes soon because that seems like a way easier problem to solve than super accurate. Cause I mean like my brother and I have similar voices. It's trench like, warfare on the voice stuff. Like. Yeah. <laughs> like I need it to not just reject my wife's voice. That sounds nothing like me. I need it to reject voices that sound a lot like mine. Yeah. If Justin says, Hey Siri, it needs to know it's not me. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think the micro location stuff will come probably first, but only if it doesn't require like a huge bevy of new expensive yeah. sensors. So iOS 9, yeah, I got it on my iPad. I think you have it on. Did you do the beta? Were you one of those? No. no? GM was the first time I dipped my toe. So it's, it's gold be- masters. Betas, then gold masters, then what's the? 
and then just the actual just release. release. And traditionally, the Goldmaster is bite identical unless they discover something in right. that one week. It's is really, it, hey, developers, get ready. We're shipping this. Is it RTM, released to manufacturers? That's what Microsoft always said, I yeah. think. Oh, I'm sorry, Apple. I didn't mean it. <laughs> um, General manager is what Apple means. So in the time I've been using an iOS device... I have, and I think I've said this before, like I, they're basically the same, like <laughs> until you have to dive into the settings or if you have like a really specific like workflow that works for you, Android and, and iOS are, are largely the same kind of thing. Pull yeah. to refresh, swipe, pinch, you know, long press. So with uh, iOS nine on the iPad, cause I only have an iPad, you can do uh, this two finger press on the keyboard and then it lets you move the cursor around. Yeah. And this is actually like a huge issue on iOS. Like from day one. Yeah, moving the cursor sucks. I mean, you so can press bad. it. Well, I think we had an episode where I was like, yeah, you press and hold and then you get the magnifying glass and you're like, oh, yeah. that helps a little bit. It, it does help a little bit, but it's still nowhere near as good as it is on Android. And I mean, I make typos, so I have to like go back. And yeah. so I, that's something I probably use daily. Or it's always the if of switch and you're like, I typed if stop. Yeah. How, it. I never am going to mean of until I do. And then I want you to put of. <laughs> but on so on iOS 9 on the iPad, you can do like this two finger hold. And it, the keyboard looks different, so there's a visual indicator that it's behaving differently, and you get this trackpad motion. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And I messaged you in Slack, and I was like, can you do that on your iPhone 6? And you, like, you know, pause. Well, that's because I was nope. excited about the, the 3D touch letting you do that on the iPhone. You're like, why can't you two-finger? Yes, and so this is what, like, that whole multi-touch gesture versus long press versus 3D touch, like, there's no reason not to bring this to older iPhones, yeah. but they're not going to. <laughs> and you made, I think, the one borderline acceptable argument, which is the thumb thing. Oh, I type with my thumb, so yes. switching to two fingers is weird. It would be weird on an iPhone, whereas on an iPad, you're more likely to be using your fingertips. And then going, why don't I use a laptop? <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible experience. So I yes, that's like borderline acceptable. <laughs> well, thank you. You're generous. <laughs> no, I mean for Apple to have left it out uh, for that okay. for that one and only one reason. But really, doesn't that just feel like a hey? <laughs> you should probably upgrade. Yeah, well, I, I don't think they're mad if they have reasons people should upgrade. <laughs> it also, as you know, the the fanboy in me, I try not to go too crazy, but it does make me feel like. It's a little disingenuous when you say like, oh, going all the way back to the iPhone prototype that we didn't release to consumers. Even they got iOS 9. Ha <laughs> ha, Android. It's like, yeah, but they didn't get everything. Yeah, but hardware features, you can't really spin back into the past. My iPad does not have 3D touch. I just also have another yeah. finger. So that's what I mean. Well, like, they don't want to complicate. I'm pretending to be yeah. the apologist right now, but the... <laughs> You don't want to have like, well, which iPhone are you on? Well, that won't work. Use this other gesture. Just kidding. Which version, which system? And like, that's sort of the long argument is you don't want 500 ways to do it. Yeah. But I think that's when you See have... hyperbole there? I said 500. You're not asking for 500 <laughs> ways to I'm, do it. I'm not. But I mean, I think this is actually a little bit of support toward my argument of the more ways of interacting you have, you just get more and more ways to do the handful of things. Right. There's only yeah. like three things you can actually do, but there's 
each one of those things, there's three different ways to do them. So it's like, oh, look at all the ways you can interact with this device. And it's like, no, yeah, you know, like on a, a desktop, you can left click, middle click, right click. And I guess you can like mash all those together, you know, but then you have keyboard shortcuts that do the same thing the GUI does mostly, you know, until you get into super advanced stuff like chaining commands together in Vim. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I felt like this. There's a little bit of justification that 3D Touch is going to have like a rocky start. I'm not saying it can, it I'm is. not saying it can't be amazing, but that transition will be weird. And I mean, some of the thing I think it was a uh, Josh Topolsky was pointing out on like, why can't I use that to activate things without going into the app? If the point is it saves me time, like hey, play music, then start the music. But since I did it through this menu, don't launch the music app. Uh, it's like only launch something if you really have to. But if I'm just like hey, start that playlist. Like, I just want to fling that command through the icon and not... And have go. it go into the yeah. app, not have it bring up the album art and be like, yeah. hey, you're now listening to greatest hits from the 90s. Yeah. Which I assume is a playlist you have. Or one of them he was pointing out is the camera app has a take photo. not And it doesn't literally take a photo. It just launches photos. And I'm like, yeah, when I tap the icon, that's what happens. <laughs> so you've saved me none steps. <laughs> Yeah. And the only the only argument that made any sense for that was the photos app or the camera app remembers the last mode you were in. So if you're in panorama mode and you use that menu, it'll take you directly to the mode you want. But it's still a little like redundant feeling of yeah. like I could have just launched the app or three D touched <laughs> the app and end up I, in the same place. I just want to know how long it's going to be before someone who's like a world champion arm wrestler or like a strong man from a carnival where they like rip decks of cards in half. Like they, they are trying to 3d touch and they push through their phone screen. And then it's going to be like a whole big thing. Like it'll be like 3d touch gate where they just like, <laughs> like right through glass. Isn't that thick. Yeah. So we're not going to like review the iPhone 6 or anything, even though we're kind of dancing around it. But there is one thing I wanted to complain about when it comes to uh, media culture around the iPhone especially. But um, so Sports Illustrated, um, well-renowned for, among other things, their photography. They're kind of, they're not like National Geographic of sports, but, you know, most people just know their bikini <laughs> issue. Yeah, I but, was going to say, I think that's the only but, thing they are. Yeah, so... Um, they, they had this big feature article, like super, like full bleed images, like fancy everything. And it's about how they took photos with the iPhone 6S plus or whatever, one of them. And it's like, look at all this amazing sports photography using a camera phone. And, uh, I went to look at this article and they're not special. Like the, the photos are all right and they're, they're good for a phone, but they don't look like professional photos to me. No. At all. Like, no, they I look like good photos, but not like magazine high-quality print photos. Yeah, it's more like, oh, my friend went to the game and he managed to get a pretty good shot. Not, <laughs> oh, someone professionally captured a ball game. Um, there's a, still a big gulf there, which I don't think anyone blames on phones. I'm more just angry that this article was like, look at this amazing camera. Yeah, especially because anyone who's ever been to a live sporting event... They're not using like a $400 Nikon that your friend who took an art class in college also owns. They're using these crazy lenses. They have uh, reflector cards that, from assistants. And like, yeah. this is a, a real honest to God pro level job. I think 
anyone who knows anything about photography would agree that uh, smartphone cameras are gobbling up the prosumer level market, not the pro market. Yeah. Like in the real pro market, you still need like telephoto lenses and you need to be able to swap out lenses and you need really fine control of the timers and the, the ISO and on and on and on. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know anyone who has any good reason to go out and buy like a, a point and shoot. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you almost see a weird thing. Like, I have a Sony, it's an RX100, and it's, like, more like a shrunk-down DSLR. Yeah. So it's, like, it is differentiated from phone cameras, and it costs that much <laughs> to be differentiated. <laughs> but, yeah, I think the the clearest death, other than low-end $100, $200 point-and-shoots, is, uh, remember flip cameras were kind of a thing, briefly? Flip uh, Minnow, HD. I have a suspicion that you and I, more than maybe some people listening, remember those because that was one of those weird technologies that people in academia were like, this is going to revolutionize teaching. And those of us who were technologists were like, it's a camera. Yeah. <laughs> Cameras like are neat. The second smartphones had, could shoot in 720p, probably at a minimum, yeah. it was just like, why would anyone ever get a flip? Like use the one that's in your pocket. Yeah. I mean, and that's like uh sport cameras like GoPros and and like the Sony like tube shaped one. You know, they're very cool, but they serve an incredibly specific purpose. They're relatively inexpensive. They can hold a tremendous quantity of really high quality uh uh video or pictures and they're really tiny. Yeah. So you can put you like six of anywhere. them on a helmet or on a, a surfboard or whatever. And if you lose them, you're like, eh. <laughs> well, not the GoPro. Those are like 400 bucks. But the entry level one is like two. Yeah. They've but come way, way down because they know they have to compete with like everyone buying a GoPro also owns an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever. Yeah. So they had to, again, differentiate themselves in a way that made sense. Yeah, but I don't see a lot of skiers strapping phones to their helmets. <laughs> No, and hopefully we won't, but... <laughs> They'll strap iPads. They'll st- strap an iPad I, I, Pro. No. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody going down the hill and with their a just billboard. whole face is covered with iPad. Have you ever seen one of those telepresence things where it's like a little... It looks basically like so a Segway with an iPad on it? Since, you know, reporting on iPhone lines is important for the media, there was someone <laughs> in line with a telepresence tablet. Oh. <laughs> So that's way sadder than what I was going to say. What I was going to say was just jokingly, do you think they'll start using iPad Pros? So instead of just your head, it could be like your head and shoulders. Will someone use an iPad Pro to buy an iPad Pro? (laughs) So someone was holding their position in line with a telepresence robot? Yeah. I can't believe people didn't just like kick it over. (laughs) People still wait in line for the iPhone? So now I have to find... Yeah. It's weird because, you know, there's this thing where they can ship it to you and you can stay at home and sip a latte. And get it like same day, right? Like you get it launch (laughs) day? Yeah. Unless you're in the Pope City, but. (laughs) You mean Vatican City? Another story. Washington, (laughs) D.C. Well, he's touring the U.S. right now. Right. Okay. I just want to make sure because I don't think anyone calls Vatican City Pope City, (laughs) although they should. (laughs) So you're going to find this crazy telepresence robot, aren't you? Yeah, while you launch us into our main topic of the day. Yeah, so usually we try and lead with follow-up, but uh, we have a lot of ad blocker, content blocker follow-up, and um, I'm going to try and link to all this stuff again in the in the show notes because there's just been a tremendous amount of really smart conversation, but 
I the more I listen to people who are professionally supported by ads and people who run ads on uh, podcasts and on their blog and who do all kinds of ad supported things, I am increasingly convinced that the people who are complaining are not wrong. They are probably going to be driven out of business and that's okay. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be like crappy on them. Like, Oh, you don't deserve to exist because I don't care if you exist. But what I am saying is there's a reason we don't have 20 different times and 20 different national geographics and 20 different, the wall street journals, because you don't need that. There's not that much demand. They're exactly right. There is not that much demand. You're not going to get that many people because the wall a subscription to the wall street journal is like $800 a year. It's absolutely ridiculous. The New York times and the post like are, are the same kind of thing. I think very, very expensive. And the people who pay for them consider them indispensable and that's awesome. And it keeps them printing and, and they're doing their business. But you're only going to get broad market demand when you have something that appeals to the lowest common denominator in that entire market space, which means the average person is not going to read the Wall Street Journal because they either don't care or even even if they care, it doesn't apply to them at all. And I really think you don't need 20 high quality Apple iPhone reviews every single year because a lot of people will do that for free. Or like... The reviews are one thing, but so this was a line I was saving for one of the other articles, but you know, we don't need 35, 39 listicle articles every time Tim Cook farts, (laughs) you know, from, you know, 39 different blogs and it's like ad banners, ad banners, one sentence of actual content, a paragraph of bullshit above and below it. And (laughs) it's like, okay, I get it. Tim Cook said something. I don't need 50 different billboards saying that he said something at me. Well, and see, this is where my, my counter argument would be. You can have 50 different billboards. What you don't get to do is call those journalism. Yeah. Because if every single person who has access to a Squarespace site or blogger or wordpress.com, if they all want to write that post, that's fine. I, 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 I just don't feel like you necessarily deserve to make a living off of that. Yeah. Like you can't just like recording a song once doesn't mean I should just get to sit in my house yeah. the rest of my <laughs> and life. Live off the proceeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to deter anyone from doing something they want to do. And if writing about the iPhone or Tim Cook farting, I don't or whatever, think anyone wants to write about Tim Cook farting. Though. But I'm, I'm just saying like, I'm not trying to say those people don't have the right to do that. Yes, you absolutely do. Please try and do it better than anyone else. Like don't take it as a yeah. joke just because it's not your job, but you shouldn't feel entitled to make it your job. And yeah. that's where I think this kind of breaks down where people, you know, these, some of these big publishers that are really not contributing anything to the conversation. I think that's what we deserve to exist. This is sort of something I've been realizing too, just kind of looking at the, the market and uh, some podcasts I've been listening to. Topolsky has one called tomorrow and he was talking on the most recent episode about writers that want to, his guest was actually talking about this, but it was about like, there's a lot of content out there that's designed to be portable. It's designed to try to go viral, to try to get shared everywhere, to be kind of like the perfect little like Dorito bite of shareable news. And um, he's like kind of sick of that. Like we make all these little short, juicy little tidbit. You know, he didn't want to use the word clickbait because some of it's still good news or like legit stuff, but it's kind of geared towards this 
let's go viral economy of make everything. And, you know, he brought up like the VH1 Music Awards, like everything that happened in that show was bite-sized enough in the hopes that it would become like a viral internet video hit or a little story uh. of, can you believe what that guy did? Can you believe? And just like, this guy was like, I'm not on a crusade. I'm not telling other people to change, but I want to opt out of this world for my own sanity. <laughs> like, I want to go write stuff, and maybe no one will ever care about it, or maybe it will blow up, but I, I need to make something different. I want to get somewhere new. Well, and see, that's where I think that that split really starts to reveal itself is people who want to just, you know, make something viral or they want to just report on like, hey, I use a new iPhone and it's really great. Or, hey, I got a the Huawei Android Wear watch and it's the sexiest Android Wear watch ever made or whatever kind of thing. Like, that's fine. But that's a really shallow opinion that anyone could have contributed so you shouldn't be shocked when anybody contributes that same opinion or an exactly opposite opinion that's equally shallow and anyone could have contributed yeah. in. And then when people step in and, and they want to do deep reporting and really add something new, like, so I'll, I'll link to this, this ATP, uh, accidental tech podcast episode in the show notes. Cause it, it's really good. And it's interesting to hear right from Marco about how the experience was for him. And, he said when he wrote on his blog, like, hey, I'm taking peace down. Here's why I'm taking it down. Here's how you can get a refund. Like, I'm I'm sorry. I just I don't really want to talk to the press. I just I'm I'm this was a mistake yeah. and I'm really sorry. And then so on ATP, he mentions that and he said, you know, now you have all these companies coming out of the woodwork who basically just reposted my article <laughs> with no additional commentary or comment and contributed nothing to the conversation. And I'm supposed to feel guilty about blocking ads on that site. Yeah. He's like, I don't. I don't feel guilty. He's <laughs> like, a lot of people said, like, oh, Marco's not going to use ad blockers. And he's like, that's not true. I use ad blockers. I just don't want to make one. Yeah. And I was like, that's really telling because this is someone who has, like, he's made money in his career. He's doing well, but he's not, it's not like he's set for life. Yeah. You know, like he still needs to work and, and produce products and he turned even away he, some money. Yeah, he, he still wants to do things he, whether it's interested in or if you think it's a high-minded, like, ethical thing. It doesn't seem like it's it's sort of that. Like he wasn't, he like sort of had ethical qualms with earning money with an ad blocker, but doesn't have ethical qualms with blocking ads with an ad blocker. Yeah, the, the way he kind of explained it was, I don't want to be the person who makes the decision on what's right and wrong to block. And and I mean, my, my point about like bringing up the money thing is he had an opportunity to basically just do a cash grab. And I think walking away from that... And it's not, again, he's not set for life from his other endeavors. I don't think this would have set him up for life by any stretch either. But by walking away from that, it kind of indicates like, well, it must not have been a cash grab, right? Like all you, <laughs> all the cynics who said like, oh, he's just, you know, using his reputation to make a cash grab. It's like, well, he lost money on it. So probably yeah, he not. spent all that time, you know, maybe it was a few weeks. Maybe it wasn't like his entire life, but he spent time on this thing and still refunded it all. So at the very least, he lost that time. Right. And he actually, because um, he had to license the Ghostery database. And they're not going to pay that back. Yeah. So that's, I mean, he, again, it's not going to, This is none of this is about being, you know, made for There's life no or evidence. broken for yeah. life. But it's just like, he did this because this is what he thought was the right thing to do. 
and you know, then there were all the conspiracies about like John Gruber. And I mean, I don't want to just completely rehash that episode. Like go listen to it. It's good. Yeah. Um, but something that, uh, from, from, uh, a back to work episode, um, that I really thought like Merlin, man, like he's, man, he's like, he's goofy. Like he's really goofy, but he just like rains down like these little weird nuggets of wisdom. And the, his main contribution to the ad blocker discussion was, this is not nearly as simple as people want it to be. He was like, everyone who just says like, it's about privacy. Like, no, it's not. It's more complicated than that because, and this has been my argument. So it was kind of, I always pat myself on the back when like a smart, (laughs) successful person makes the same argument I've been making, but it's like, it's not about tracking, right? Like, cause we want to be tracked a little. Don't be unattractive. Be attractive. (laughs) Yeah. Don't Don't be be creepy. Yeah. How did you become as successful as Tom Cruise? Step one, be born Tom Cruise. (laughs) That's, Join Scientology. No, don't do no, that. No, don't never do that step. No, but this, I mean, my argument has been right along and I'm, I'm really excited to hear more people who are like actually prominent in these, these circles making the same argument, which is the discussion is not about tracking or not tracking. It's how much tracking. Like, I'm really glad that when I turn on Netflix, it makes recommendations. If they didn't, or that it knows what you've watched before, so yes. you can resume what you're watching. Yes, all of all of the things Netflix does are tracking, and I'm fine with. Like, I have zero problems, and I mean, I know, like I've said before, I'm a little more okay with tracking than I think some people are, but I doubt you'll find anyone yeah. who's like, no, I want to start this show from the first episode every time <laughs> I go to watch it. Yeah. I want to have to memorize that which season and which episode I'm on. Yeah. That's, like, that's insanity. So I have an article here I wanted to share. It's called Debugging Ad Tech Assumptions. And this is from a, a Harvard law blog, um, Doc Searle's weblog. He still calls it a weblog. And it's actually a part of a whole series. And you should you know go to this article and he has the links to all the rest of the series. And uh, I think, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with being tracked, but the attitudes of ad tech, the industry, I think, is what is kind of obnoxious. And so he just kind of goes through, you know, he's trying to debug the assumptions ad tech people are making about the recent surge of ad blocking. And to them, it's all about people are building a cocoon and they they want to curate their advertising experiences and we need to find the right messaging to puncture through and it's all this <laughs> like we got to we got to get in there we got to forcey fun time our way into <laughs> their life through some kind of incognito secret plan and he's like no, they don't want you to do that. <laughs> no, I, I do not think any consumers are asking for that. <laughs> and, you know, when when people find out their devices are advertising to them, they feel kind of like, oh, so my thing's compromised, like you're intruding on it. Yeah. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's like, yeah, there's ad-supported businesses and people love free stuff. So you can say you're hypocritical for, you know, it's like, don't bother me, but give me free stuff. Like, I'm not defending that attitude, but... I don't think people are like, if only this was more curated. If only there was a QR code to go with this commercial. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I also don't think any consumer has ever asked for a QR code. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, it's sort of a, this article's, and not all of his articles are on this exact corner of the ad tech stuff, but um, we aren't just consumers of content who want curated ads. Um, but for some people, it is about control or not being, it's user experience, it's not being bothered. And I don't want an ad tech company to just be smarter about bothering me. I just want them not to bother me. Yeah. And I mean, wouldn't you say like this surfaces 
something you said last time that I, I thought was really interesting from that article about how uh, publishers and, and advertisers are no longer aligned. Because in in the bad old days, before the internet, <laughs> if you wanted to write an article about, I don't know, a band you liked or whatever, like you had to have a place to publish that. Yeah. And that meant a business had to be involved because there were high costs. Yeah. And that's no longer Distribution, true. Distribution, production, everything. Yeah. So none of that is true anymore. And so now I think part of this conversation is that it's creating a really obvious separation between a place I go to learn about stuff. Like uh, I might look for restaurants on Yelp. So I would expect to see restaurant ads on Yelp because I am looking to buy food. Yeah. Like the thing that I am yeah, trying to Amazon do. Amazon is doing its job when it sh I'm on their site and it's right. like, look at all these related things. Yes. Welcome. Yes. Please do that. Yeah. All that makes sense. But then if I just want to read like a poem somebody wrote or a short story, like I don't really need ads for underwear while I'm doing that. Like, yeah. and that person is probably not trying to make a living on their public free accessible on the the web website right so like they can produce that thing and distribute it at such a low cost that it's not unreasonable for me to ask them to eat that cost <laughs> like i mean we're talking cents on yeah serving fractions of cents is, is not yeah trivial and now there's a million Flickr gives you a terabyte of photo storage like high definition if you're a photographer or an artist and you want to share high definition images that's now free if yeah. you want to share video you've had youtube and vimeo for years and probably tons of others that i've never heard of like very little content cannot be shared for free to the entire yeah. world except Germany because that game a thing. But <laughs> but this sorry, Matt. <laughs> super sorry. But that I mean that's that's what's happening is we've now cloven clo, clo, clovopodies, we've separated the the content creators, the material creators from the the the, the ad servers in such a dramatic way that never the two shall meet again. Like it, things would be bad if we started to backslide where, you know, every idiot who wanted to share their poetry or their short stories or their videos had to be ad supported. Like yeah. that would be bad. That'd be going the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's kind of the, exhausting. yeah, it's exhausting. I thought to, to tie it up would be the, the question of where do we go from here? What happens next? Um, or oh, well, right before that, there is one more article to discuss, and that is... Uh, is it the ethical ad blogger? Cause no. I, I think that's hilarious. Oh, you should talk to that first, <laughs> then we'll get to... So uh, this guy, I, I know nothing about this person, but someone shared this with me on Twitter, and th this guy created the ethical ad blocker. So if you go to any site that uses any kind of, any kind of tracking or ad blocking uh, or ad uh, serving technology... Um, instead of seeing the actual site, it gives you like a friendly message that's like, oh, you don't want to see the ads on this site. So we're just not going to show you anything. Here's like two or three sites that give away their content for free. And it's like the Electric Frontier Foundation and uh, like Wikipedia, Yeah, you know, so like almost nothing. And uh, I was learn actually a lot from Wikipedia. <laughs> that's true. Um, but I mean, there aren't a whole lot of sites that are totally, totally free if you include things like trackers. So what was the first thing I did after I saw this? I went to our website yeah. and looked at sunriserobot.net. And even though we have no ads and we're not doing what I consider to be unacceptable tracking, we're just doing web traffic tracking yeah. through Google Analytics. 
Google Analytics counts as tracking. Yeah. So it flagged our site and it's blocked if you have this tool installed. <laughs> and I was kind of like, huh. And that just made that to me was just like another piece of evidence on my pile of like what we need to decide. Cause I don't really care about advertisers. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, advertisers. I don't really, I'm not looking to save you. Yeah. But there's a lot of good functionality that comes from tracking and there's a lot of useful things that can be done with that data and scary things, but the data is innocent. So what we need to do is find a way to maximize the good and minimize the bad. And part of that solution will probably come from deciding what is an acceptable amount to track. Well, and this is the, the cultural question we have not, really figured out there's it's not enshrined in any sort of legal process in america and that is who owns the data created from your trail of activity is that something the person who made the trail gets to decide what happens to and what are the limits on that if you go that direction of like i don't care if i went to your site you're not allowed to know i went to your site like that's a little extreme yeah but you know where do where do you find that line right now the line is Oh, advertisers just get to harvest everything and do whatever they want with it. Right. And literally, like, just about, you know, they, they may have to make some, you know, if they're dealing with health data or education data, there's law around that. But, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than that, there's not really a, a legal construct in our nation about data privacy. And so it's pretty much free reign. So the debate is, do you rein that in? Because we're already at the at end of the spectrum. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we went from zero to the extreme, like as fast as advertisers could manage. And I think, so this exact question, uh, I believe, was asked when people started doing interesting things with uh, genomic research. Was like, do you own your gene sequence? Like, who... Who owns that? Like, do you own it just because it's something you are? Like, you didn't create it. It just kind of happened. So there was, I don't even remember. I don't know if that debate's been resolved or how it was resolved. Um, But I I think this is where, like, there's another thing I, I thought of. Like, people don't consider the internet outside, right? Like, if I walk into a a Walmart... And there's cameras. It's like, yeah, they know I was in Walmart. They know I bought something at Walmart. So I'm in a Walmart. We but have that figured out culturally because you're on private property. You've right. given but up. But with the internet, people don't look at it that way. Like if I go to Walmart's website and they're tracking me, people are like, oh, they track you. That's bad. And or it's like, it's even the- on public property, if you're outside, you're, you're, you don't yeah. have an expectation, no, no expectation of privacy. expectation, yeah. <laughs> there's a funny Onion article about the Supreme Court justice peering through into your bathroom saying you don't have an expectation of privacy here (laughs) (laughs) just just looking at someone (laughs) oh my god so i mean that's definitely a a big cultural question to figure out so one other thing um is uh daring fireball john gruber shared this but there was an in-depth study trying to actually figure out some numbers around the possible impact of all this ad blocking this ad blocking apocalypse that's coming oh have you not heard the brand name no. Ad block Great. <laughs> Not Sorry. ad popolix. I don't know. Um, so the, this article, and I won't go too much in the details. I have a quote here to summarize, and you should check it out on our show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 86, um, is uh, if you project that iOS users will adopt ad blocking the same rate that desktop users use it, which is not very high. Nope. Um, then ad-supported businesses may see a hit of like 3 to 4% of their revenue. If you assume there's a strong adoption, like say three times the rate of desktop people, then the hit is, will just multiply. It's yeah. about 11%. 
And for some reason, I didn't read too closely on the details of why these were reasonable ranges to assume, but it seems like, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to be 100% of iOS users. I'd be surprised if it was even a tenth that goes through the bother of turning this thing on. But this may be, like everything in the tech press, a mountain out of a molehill of like, oh, just kidding, 1% of people did it. But if anything, if, if there is a chink, if there is a, a, a bump in the revenue, um, it'll just accelerate what's already happening in ad tech, which is the push for advertorials for native advertising. You know, think of the first Spider-Man movie where he flicks his web in a Dr. Pepper can. Like you can't (laughs) ad block that. It's part of the movie. Right. And so this kind of thing is going to happen more. And well, and so I never really thought about it before because I don't, I actually, so Long, long ago, I actually produced a couple of web comics, and I had Google Ads on the the site that served the comics. And I made, I think, in the two years I was running, I think I made like forty dollars, like not a lot of money, yeah. but it, it was nice. It was like, oh, people are reading my stuff. I'm getting some some ad money. But you know, if people had blocked those ads, that wouldn't have like broken my heart. Like I <laughs> wanted to produce those comics, and it wasn't my job. Yeah, it was just some extra beer money, right? So, you know, now like we produce podcasts and and we we have equipment costs and there's server costs and stuff, but like we love what we're doing, so if we're not like rolling in money, like that's not the point of of doing something that you love to do. And I never thought about before the way uh native advertising on a website, like an article written about a product is similar to the ads in podcasts, which I actually like. Like I have bought things. Well, a lot of good podcasts. Like it's not an ad. It's not a pre-recorded jingle of like I hate like the traditional radio ad of like the what am I ever going to do about my vacuum problem? <laughs> well, Jill, here's what you can do. like the stupid like radio drama. Oh yeah, <laughs> the whole fake. Yeah, but that's, I mean, with podcast advertising, it's you know I'm listening to these people because I respect their opinions or I think they're interesting, and when. They typically don't use a pre-recorded thing. It's part of the show. So that means like uh, on like a lot of Leo Laporte shows on, on the Twit Network, they're sponsored by Audible. So he most of his guests, you know, the co-hosts use Audible. So he actually has them recommend a book. And often they're just talking about what book they're into lately. Yeah. And it's hardly that much about Audible. Right. But what you come away with is if I use Audible, I could listen to that awesome book. And like that's useful, you know. Like the bed I sleep on, I got from a Casper, pod- a Casper mattress. I freaking love it, and I got it from Flipping a podcast. table sponsored by Casper. <laughs> I wish because I want to share their beds. Go freaking buy a Casper. We are not sponsored by Casper. Go buy a Casper bed; they're amazing. David Lyons wants to share your bed, Casper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. But the, so I never thought about it before. But someone, uh, I think it was Dan Benjamin, said the in every podcast player has a button that says skip forward 30 seconds. Yeah. That is to skip ads. And I was like, I never thought of that before. <laughs> like it you never, it never occurred to me I to definitely do use that. that. <laughs> I've never used it. Like you've actually skipped ads or yeah. do you skip boring sections or both? Well, if, if, if I already know the ad is not something I care about, or if it's like, this is the 10th time I've heard the Casper mattress <laughs> right. explanation. I get it. Someday when I'm up for buying a mattress, the the brand is imprinted on my head. <laughs> I'll be ready to research when it comes that time. But I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't need to hear this. Yeah, they aren't losing a customer by me skipping this. Right. And see, I think that's like closer to a fair interaction because you're skipping it because you're like, oh, I'm already familiar with this brand. 
you're not blocking it on like Gawker. Or you're I like, don't need a personal server. Boom. Right. Yeah, you're not on Gawker being bombarded with ads for products you don't even know what they are or care about. And the people who write Gawker didn't hand choose those ads. Like, it's just random stuff in a server. <laughs> Bespoke, <fly>. handcrafted ads. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think um, that native advertising direction or the, the mobile app embedded direction, like, we haven't even talked about that. All of this ad blocking fear is like, oh, it's just going to drive people into the silos of native apps. Well, guess what most people use on mobile devices? Native freaking apps. Yeah. Like Safari on yeah. it, on iOS admittedly does have more web use than on Android, but most people spend their time on Twitter and in Facebook. Well, I actually Facebook. heard a stat that the web browser is 15% of app time on mobile devices. Yeah. And also... If you want another thing that could accelerate, if if you if you presume for the sake of argument that Apple Watch and Apple TV are going to do well, they don't have web browsers at all. Even They're, even the new Apple TV, no web browser. There's huh. only apps, and that that's like a big deal. Of like, are they breaking the web? They're kind of carving out a a private space. But that's a topic for another day. But there's no <laughs> web browser at all. So the only thing is native ads, right? And I don't really see that being a huge issue because hopefully this is an opportunity for whoever runs those platforms to not remake all the mistakes that websites made. <laughs> There'll right? just be new mistakes. That's fine. It, at least that's an attempt. <laughs> a variety of mistakes. That's an attempt at progress. I'll accept that. New mistakes in place of old mistakes means they tried to do something new. <laughs> it may be uh, ill-informed. It may be reckless and haphazard, but it's an attempt. Yeah. Is it, have we said it all? Is there anything else to say but to wait and watch the cities burn? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a, a time will tell kind of thing. And there'll be new and interesting developments in this space. But uh, culturally and morally and ethically, I think this horse may in fact be dead. Yeah. Advertising is not going to die. Websites aren't going to die. But maybe the current marriage needs to divorce. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And I think some of these publishers will not survive the transition. And for anybody that affects, I'm genuinely sorry. But, yeah. you know, if you were a horseshoe maker around the time of the Model T, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. it had to happen. You That's probably have transferable skills. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Presumably, if you're a writer, that can now go to some other medium. You didn't have to only write on a crappy ad-laden website with flash with, ads. With 700 clones of you doing the same thing every day. Yeah. So, anyway. Ready to put a bow on this? I think so. Okay. You can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 86 as always, you can find Mike and I on Twitter most easily. I am at Lines and Beta, and Mike, you are? At Medwards Music. If you want to support the show, the first thing you can do is subscribe. That means you get a new episode in your podcatcher of choice every week. I'm still using uh, Pocket Casts on Android, and no 30-second skip for me. Mike, I think you're still using Overcast, right? Yep, Marco's app. And does he have a 30-second skip? Yep. Yes, he does, because every podcast app has that. If you want to take an extra step, you can support us directly at patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you might actually get a shout out on one or all of our shows. So with that, I want to say a special thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andres Langa. We will continue not ad blocking you. Woo!